thankful this morning for the good spirit, the good songs, good singing. And I, I told Marianne that that was going to be, uh, that song suited her perfectly of all prayer. And I appreciate her singing that. And I'm glad that we serve a God that is so great. How great He is. Yeah, and uh, he doesn't remember our sins. He cast us far from the east and the west. All the songs this morning just kind of all went right in line with each other. And I love how the Lord does that. And I'm glad to be here today. Today is notoriously one of the lowest attended church days of the year. Uh, the Sunday before Labor Day. A lot of folks are going to the lake, going to the mountains, going here and there. And I'm glad to be in the house of God this morning. Yeah. I can be anywhere I, I choose to be today. And that is what we do. It is a choice of where we're going to be today. We can choose to be at Cherokee Lake uh, trying to catch us some bass. We can choose to be uh, somewhere out maybe uh, looking for deer trail signs. We could, you know, be anywhere we want. But I'm glad to be in the house of God. I was glad when they told me to enter into the house of God. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, you turn to the book of Genesis. And I've done it again, haven't I? I've turned it on. I don't know why I can't ever remember that. You're good. And it wouldn't do you no good to do this. I don't ever look back there until I remember it. But uh, I know I'm loud anyway, so you don't usually need a mic, but to pick up on the on the equipment, you, you usually have to have a mic on for it to come in right. And uh, I had a, a preacher one time, good good friend of mine, I love him to death. I had him come out to, to preach our homecomings a lot of times. Uh, Brother Ross said, uh, he'd, he'd come up there to the uh, podium and he'd say, I don't need a microphone. He'd shove that thing down. And I know it's loud, you can hear him all over church, but when it came to the CD that we sent out to our secret shut-ins and on, on Facebook Live, and you couldn't hear him. And so uh, that's one of the things you got to remember in this modern day that uh, equipment is necessary if you're going to be heard. Well, uh, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 35, Genesis chapter 35, and Lord will, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Genesis 35, and when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for read of God's Word this morning? Genesis chapter 35, start with verse 1. And here the Bible says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bethel. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the service thus far. Lord, all the good singing, the good spirit, the good fellowship, Lord. But now we're asking for you to help us. For just a few minutes, God, that we'll be able to preach, Lord, your word will go out and do a mighty work in our hearts. 
We'll give you all the praise and the glory for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we approach this very familiar passage of Scripture this morning, and I probably preached from this uh, this text, I don't know, probably 35 times or more, I don't know. Uh, it is a very uh, uh, memorable passage of Scripture. It seems like, you know, these days uh, people want to kind of glaze over a lot of things in the Old Testament, kind of think that it's not necessary. We've got one popular preacher down south that said that uh, you need to unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. Uh, I believe they need to unhitch themselves from that ungodly pastor right there. Mm -hmm. uh, the Lord Jesus quotes the Old Testament many, many times. So do the, the apostles and the gospel writers. Yeah. They refer back to the Old Testament over and over and over. And it is our roadmap. It's our roadmap from the Old into the New, the New Covenant. And it is necessary. And it is for our good. Uh, while much of it was written for the Jew, uh, is for our good as well. And so as we approach this, it seems like these days... Everybody is trying to go forward. Isn't that, isn't that the name of the game today? Go forward. Reach ahead. You know, uh, strive for more. Reach into the future. Progress is ahead, you know. And I'm working on a, on a project right now for our company, uh, introducing AI into our website, into our knowledge base, which I own the knowledge base. I'm the, I'm the writer. I, I write all the knowledge articles for our company. And so they're wanting to incorporate AI in there. So, you know, it's the, it's the end all be all of everything. I've spot the end of all of our jobs as well. But, uh, you know, everybody's thinking about progression. And many people are forgetting about the past. Uh, they want to rip the rearview mirror off and just put it aside and say, we're not going to look back there anymore. Listen, you need to look behind you to see where you've been so you know how to go ahead. Well, you know, the church movement of today and religion as a whole, it seems that we have left the old paths. Now, as a, as a church pastor, I've had a lot of well-meaning people come and try to tell me how things need to go in a church. You know, you need to get rid of the red-back church. You know, nobody sings those songs anymore. You need to get rid of all the hymn books out of the pews and just put screens up. Those people don't want to hold books, you know. You need to quit preaching out of the King James Bible. People are using the NIV now or the NASB or whatever they're using today. So they want to, they, they think the church should progress with culture. They think the church should progress with society's thoughts and ideas. When the truth is, the church needs to look back at the old paths. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah understood that. Inspired by God, he wrote this in Jeremiah 6.16. Thus saith the Lord, stand you in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But listen to what they replied to him with. But they said, we will not walk therein. We will not. Look, Jeremiah, we're not going to go back to the old ways. I'm not going back to Papa's religion. I'm not going back to my mom and daddy's religion, how they brought me up in that old church. I'm going to go to all these modern places and where everybody is just, you can come as you are and leave as you please and, and whatever it is. Listen, I fear that we have become like the disobedient children of Israel by leaving the old paths. And we've seen the effects it's had on the churches. Uh, I've been a, a, a going to the church ever since I told you before. I was one of those drug kids. I was drugged to church every time the door was open. And so I was raised in churches just exactly like this. Now, back in the 70s and 80s, churches were filled. I mean, it was you were lucky to get a seat a lot of times. We had to bring out the old old chairs, you know, yeah. and, and things like that. And, and things have changed. Why? 
because people have left the old paths. They're trying to progress. You know, we're much smarter now than they used to be back in the 70s and 80s. And so uh, we're getting like the children of Israel, and I believe we're going to suffer the same consequences that they suffered because for their rejection of the old past, their rejection of God, and trying to grasp over the new things, the new way, the new gods, then we see what happened when the Lord forced them into captivity. He busted those people up. Families were split. Things happened. What's well, going to happen in this day and age right now? Kind of the message is more altered at the altar. Altered at the altar. Look back at verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. You see, it was Bethel we read about where Jacob went. He had a dream of a ladder reaching into heaven. Didn't you remember that story from Sunday school when you were a kid? That was one of my favorites because I always imagined that ladder coming down from heaven and looking up through there, seeing those angels ascending and descending on that ladder. It was there that this happened. It was in Bethel where God first spoke and promised unto Jacob the things that he was going to give him. Promised him the land in which he was lying on. It was there he raised up a stone and named the place Bethel, which means the house of God. Now, we've got a lot of churches these days named Bethel. And that's the way we usually pronounce it, Bethel. But it's really Bethel. It's because it's the house, Beth, the house. And El meaning God Almighty. So Bethel, that's what it is, the house of God. And so this is a very familiar place to Jacob. It's a place he's been, a place he remembers, and it's a very important because it was a life-changing place. And it was a place that he looked back to. Well, I'm sure there's places that are special to you. I know there are to me. I mentioned many of them last week. And I remember a few years ago, I took my son up to my parents' house, and I said, I'm going to take you to all the places that I used to go when I was a boy. Well, we, we went across the Malone Road. We uh, went through the barbed wire fence and through the cow pasture, walked over the railroad tie that was across Roseberry Creek and, and made our way on the train tracks, and we walked the rails for a little while. Then we got to the, the place where I used to swim in Roseberry Creek, and it used to be high, and I used to get on the bridge on the railroad tracks and jump in that water and, and swim around. We used to, to fish in there, and i catch a little bullhead fish out of there. And we, we did all kinds of things. Well, when I took the sun there, that Roseberry Creek was about ankle deep. Uh, a lot of things changed over the years. But I can still remember exactly how it was when I was a little boy. And I can still see those old things that I, I remember. I remember sitting down in that criso on those uh, uh, railroad ties and getting it all over my pants. And mom yelling at me because I ruined them. And, uh, but it was a place I was well familiar with. I was acquainted with, and it made my heart skip a beat when I was there. I was excited. Now, my son Matthew, he probably thought I was crazy. Uh, one of the awfulest places he'd probably ever been. But Jacob and his family had gotten very, very, very far away from God. Very far away from God. And the God they were acquainted with. Verse 2 says that he told his household to put away the strange gods that were among them and be clean. What in the world is he allowed to happen in his own house? Put away the strange gods, little g-gods, what, what capitalized? If you've got a Bible, that word's capitalized right there. Throw it away. I'll give you a King James. But uh, here, he's, they've got gods in their lives, little g-gods. And, you know, it makes you think, what are we allowed to go on in our house? What are we allowed to go on that we never would allow years, a few years ago? 
What are we watching now that we wouldn't dream of watching a few years ago? Would you sit around and do the things that you do if your grandmother was right there beside you? And so we need to remember a lot of these things that we've allowed to go on is because our conscience is getting seared. It's because we are now getting uh, oblivious to the, the realness of it and exactly what is the sin of it. And we've kind of let it just glaze over. We've heard it so many times that, that it doesn't bother us anymore. The first time you heard that nasty word on, on a movie or on TV, it, it, sh it shocked you. You went, I can't believe they, they allowed that on TV. Uh, just on the, the last debates, on the Republican debates I was watching, they allowed that song to be played that had curse words in it across all of the, all of the, the land. And I'm like, that would never, ever have happened just a few years ago. And, but our conscience now, it's just, it's just kind of glazed over. It, it just like goes in one ear and right out the other. We don't even hear it. Well, I noticed that God told Jacob to build an altar in this familiar place. He said, and make there an altar unto God. And by the way, that's A-L-T-A-R, not E-R. And uh, the definition of an altar is an elevated place or structure as a mound or platform on which religious rites are performed or on which sacrifices are offered to God. Now, we all know if you've been in church any time in your life, this is the altar. This is the altar area. This is up here is where we come. We bow down. If you say, you know, somebody needs to come down and pray, come down to the altar. And we know what that is. It's a place where we go to meet God. Now, you can meet him right there in the pew. You can meet him in your car. You can meet him at the lake. You can meet him at the mountains. You can meet him wherever you are. But this place is designed for you to come down to show that you're sincere, that you want to meet God today. And so we'll call. We make, we make the call, the invitation at the end of the service. Would you come down? Is there something bothering you? You need to come pray. Come down to the altar. This is where we get serious with God. This is a mourner's bench right here. This is where people come to, to pour out their tears on this bench right here. That's what that's for. It's called a mourner's bench. And so you come down and you've got something on your heart. And you, you kneel down at that bench and, and this bench should be, and it probably is, there's probably stains all over. And that's where people come to pour their heart out to God. But that's an A-L-T-A-R, a place to meet God at. But don't be confused with it being the A-L-T-E-R. An altar, which means to change, become different, or modify. But you take those two things together, the A-L-T-A-R, which we meet God at, and the A-L-T-E-R, which means a change from something, and we find that the A-L-T-A-R, altar, makes a change in our life which alters us. When I knelt down over here at Denver Street Baptist Church, which, by the way, is 0.4 miles from right here, uh, Google says I can walk there in nine minutes. I believe I've been making 12. But uh, you can drive there in two minutes in the car. You just go right down here and, and go that way and it's right over there. I'm very Saturday. Used to be. It ain't Elm Street anymore. I believe they gave it to Green's Chapel. I don't know what they're doing with it. But regardless, it was a place where I was altered when I knelt down at that old fashioned altar, poured my heart out to God, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ right there on that altar. The first altar we hear about in the Bible was one that was built by a man named Noah. We remember Noah? Look at it if you want to in Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. This is the first mention of an altar being built in the Bible. Genesis 8 and 20. It says that Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. And by the way, when you notice these altars being built, they're being built unto the Lord. The purpose to 
speak to God, to show God, to say, God, I'm building this to recognize you. That's what this altar is for. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I have done. And so we find here that the whole future of mankind was altered upon an altar. The first altar mentioned. The whole future of mankind. Friends, we would not even be here today if it weren't for the events that took place here with this man Noah. And he come to recognize God. And he says, I'm building an altar. Noah building an altar unto the Lord. And the Bible said there, verse 20, the Lord smelled a sweet savor. You know what that means? He was pleased with that. There was a sacrifice being made. He was pleased with it. He says, a sweet savor to him. Noah, I make a promise of you. You see that rainbow? That rainbow means that I will not destroy this earth with water again. That's what it means. Four chapters later, Genesis chapter 12, we read about Abraham. God led him to the land of Canaan and altered his life forever. And Abraham built an altar. Look at it if you want. Genesis 12, 7 and 8. Genesis 12, verse 7. It says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed, Will I give this land? And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And so we see the progression keeps going as God's men. When they want to get serious with God, they build an altar to recognize and say, God, I'm being serious here. And so he builds this altar. God makes him a promise there. The next person we read about in the Bible that built an altar was Abraham's son, Isaac. Have you noticed the progression that's going here? His son Isaac. In Genesis 26, 24 and 25, the Bible says, And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee, and will bless thee, and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. Verse 25 says, And he builded an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dig the well. So we see that the next person building an altar was Jacob, Isaac's son. And so we see the progression of this, these family lines, the lineage going down from, from one generation to the next as they walk in the old past that their fathers walked in and their grandfathers walked in and their fathers before them walked in. And so all the way through the generations from Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we have a pattern of men building altars unto God. And every time we find that their lives have been altered, their lives have been altered. They've been passed down through the generations. Now going back to our opening text there in Genesis 35, we find Jacob living completely outside of God's will. He had allowed so many things into his family's lives and his own life that, that things had really gotten bad. Verse 2, Then Jacob said unto his household, and all them were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God. Who answered me in the day of my distress and get this, notices, and was with me in the way which I went. You notice that? I notice these things like that when I'm reading the Bible. He's referring to God in the past tense. 
He's saying, when God was with me. He didn't say God is with me or is with me now. He says, was with me in the way in which I went. And so he got so far out of God's will and so far from where he was that he was referred to God in the past rather than the present. Just seven chapters back in Genesis chapter 28, you'll find that Jacob had made a vow to the Lord and affirmed his faith. Listen, Genesis 28 20. But Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread that eat, rain that put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Right there, he made his commitment. He made a vow to God. God, if you're going to allow this to happen, if, if I have peace at home, if I can go home and have peace, you're my God. I'm going to follow you, and, and you'll be my God. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. So here we find that, that Jacob has dedicated his life to God. What's happened over just a few chapters here in the Bible? You see, Jacob needs to get back to the altar where he once was close with God. When he's referring to God in the present tense and not in the past. When he can say, God is with me instead of God was with me. Many of us, when we were first saved, we made promises to God. God, I've been saved and I promise you, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And in our heart, we were sincere. We made God all these promises. And somewhere over time, these promises we forgot about. They fell by the wayside. We, we neglected them. We didn't do them. Or maybe we even started and, and backed out or whatever it was. But we're not doing what we promised God that we would do. What's that say about us? Is He the God that used to be with us? I talk to a lot of people and they'll say things like, well, I used to teach Sunday school. I used to be a deacon. Used to be? What happened? <laughs> you know, there's no retirement plan in, in God's work. But we have failed to keep our promises. And how many of us today are referring to the God that was with us instead of the God that is with me now? Now, I know a lot of people don't like this term, rededication. I've heard some people, you should never use the word rededication. That's an unbiblical. No, it's not. I see men all throughout the Bible rededicating their life to God. We're right here in this case that we're reading right now. Jacob is rededicating his life to the Lord. And so I'm here to tell you, there's millions of Christians across this nation that need to be rededicated to God. They need to rededicate their lives and say, God, I want to be that man that I once was when I was first saved. God, I want to be that woman that I was when I made you promises when I got saved. I want to go back to that place and I want you to walk with me and I'm going to walk with you. Lord, I want to do that. I'm going to rededicate my life to you. We need to hit our knees at the old-fashioned altar. So that our lives can be altered. Our altars are dry these days. We ought to have to ring them out after the services. We ought to have to get special cleaners in here to clean the carpet because we've ruined them up here. We ought to have to replace this piece of carpet in, the, in this area right here. It ought to be so trodden down because we need to be there at the altar. You know, I, I can say these things this morning because I can look around... And I know so many professed Christians who once used to be filling up the church pews and used to be on fire for God, and now they are not. They hardly give them a second thought. They get up on a Sunday morning, and their first thought is, where are we going to go out to eat today? Not where are we going to go to church? Are we going to go to our church today? Are we going to go and be present at God's house today? 
And so we're neglecting the house of God. Not working for Him anymore. Not interested anymore. And it's sad to me to see those who once were strong leaders, strong workers in the church, and now you can't tell them apart from a lost person. We once had goals, dreams, and visions. We wanted to do things for the Lord, but now they've been replaced by indifference. They've been replaced by a lack of responsibility. They've been replaced by somebody hurt my feelings. If your feelings ain't been hurt yet in church, just wait for it. They're going to be. We're not perfect people. God's people are not perfect. A lot of people say, they think they're perfect down there. Look at them in that church sitting there. They think they're perfect. Far from it. One of the least perfect people that you've ever met. It's only by the grace of God that we can stand here and preach His Word. It's only by the grace of God that you can sit there in that pew and listen to what the Lord has to say. There's none of us worthy. None of us are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none good. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. But we've gotten far away from God. We need to repent get back to the altar. He shouldn't be the God that once was, but he ought to be the God that is right now. He does not say, I am the great I was. God, what is your name? I am. That, that's what he was asked of. Moses standing there on that, on that mountain with his shoes off in front of a burning bush. What is your name? He said, I am. He didn't say I was. Yeah. I was the God, you know, that used to set bushes on fire. He said, I am. And he always will be. Amen. He'll never be the God that was. He's the God that is. The great I am. We need to find our way to these altars so that we can see lives change. We can see sickness healed. And we can see families restored, relationships repaired, problems that's went on with people, friends that, that somehow you parted from over some silly thing. We can see all those things mended, repaired. We can see our churches filled back up, our community saved, revival start. Can you imagine just by people being earnest and honest with God, coming down at this altar and, and confessing to the Lord, Lord, I've strayed from you. Lord, I, I've gotten far away from you. But God, I want to be serious. I want to get close to you again. Lord, I want you to be the God that is and not the God that was. Let's look at what happened to Jacob and his family. Verse 4. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. You see these strange gods that they've had now. There were many things. All the people around them, all around Canaan, they worshipped strange gods. They worshipped things, you know, they bowed down to, excuse me, manure. They make little idols out of manure and bow down to those and worship those. Do you know that Jacob's family apparently has got those kind of gods in their possession? And they are holding on to them? They had to give these things up. You see, we need to give up these things that are keeping us apart from the Lord. These things that are hindering our walk, our Christian testimony, those things that are destroying your testimony. Get those things out of your life so that we can be close to God. Jacob has been far away from that altar, settled down among the heathen. And you know what's happened to his family in the meantime? His daughter Dinah committed adultery. His sons, Simeon and Levi, they committed murder. That's why he had to leave. They were on the run. People were wanting to kill him because they killed all those men over there. His family was worshiping strange gods. 
Look, friends, when you stray away from the altar, things start happening. And they're not good things. You reap the consequences. You pull your children out of church, away from the altar, and they'll start living like the world. The world is there to give them whatever they please. I know people that say, well, I let my children choose what they want to do, you know, because I think that's the way it ought to be. I'm not going to force them to go. They should make their own decisions, especially about God and worship. You know what kind of person says that? The person that don't love church. The person that is not in love with the Lord. Because if they were, they would say, I'm going to get my children where I know they're preaching the truth. My children are going to go to church. They're, they're, you know, I'm raising my children under the admonition of God, and that's where they're going to stay. And listen, once they get to a certain age, they get out and all that stuff, you know, you've done what you can do. But I want you to know those children need to be in church. Grandparents, your grandkids need to be in church. If their parents aren't taking them, go over and say, I'm going to take the grandkids to church today. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take them because you're not taking them. But listen, the truth is, you don't, people that, that don't care about that, they don't like church. So give them something an excuse. Why don't let the kids be if they won't go to church? Well, they ain't going to go because you don't have any desire to go. All right? So unchurched children are some of the very hardest people to reach, by the way. Unchurched because, you know, they, they just, they don't understand the things of God. They don't, they've not seen all the things that God has done. If you've been raised up in church, you've heard the testimonies of people, how God has brought them out of things, how He brought them out of cancer, how He's brought them out of, out of uh, sickness and, and uh, heart diseases and things that, that's happened to them. And they'll come and they'll say, God did this. Doctors said it couldn't happen and it happened. Those kids that are unchurched, they're not ever going to hear any of that stuff. So when something happens in their life, something happens in their family, they, they fall apart because they don't know there's a God out there that's with them and for them. Those kids that went to church, whether God chooses to heal or what, what He chooses with people, at least they have God on their side and they know, I'm going to go down to church and I'm going to give them that altar and I'm going to pray. And those people are going to pray for me. And they'll come to my game prayer request this morning. I've got one, brother. My, my daddy's got cancer. My mama's got cancer. This is happening over here. And, and so they know they can go to church and they can get down to that old-fashioned altar and get things right with God. When Jacob was at Bethel the first time, he built an altar because he knew he was in the presence of God. That's why he built it. We should be weeping with tears on the altars this morning because of the state of the families today and churches today and how things have happened Notice what was involved, though, in going back. Repentance and rededication. He had to repent of how his life has been spent. Now that he's no longer the God that is, but the God that was. So Jacob had to repent of what he's doing. And he had to rededicate himself to the Lord. I'm going to build an altar unto God. And I'm going to rename this place El Bethel. The place where God met at the house of God. That's what that means. And so when Jacob was at Bethel that first time, he built that altar because he knew he was in the presence of God. And that's why we need to get back to this land, friends. Repentance and rededication. We need to get back to the altars of God. I've got another message that I preach sometimes. It's called Dead Church. Dry altars lead to dead churches. I'll probably preach it eventually here, but... Uh, we need to get back to the altars. Let's finish and look at verses 5 through uh, 10 there. And they journeyed, and terror of God was upon the cities that were around about them. 
And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak, and the name of it was called Alan Bacchus. Jacob knew that enough was enough there. He'd been out of God's will too long. His family was falling apart. They were running for their lives. Everything was a mess. And so he returned to that familiar place there in Bethel. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because God had appeared to him. Look at verses 9 and 10. God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Hadamara and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And as Paul Harvey would say, now we know the rest of the story. You see what happened? Because Jacob repented, rededicated his life to the Lord, got back to the old-fashioned altar, and made promises to God. God appeared to Jacob, the Bible said, again. He's now the God that is and not the God that was. He's the God that is. He came and met with him and he said, look, Jacob, that ain't your name anymore. Your name is Israel. You're God's people. You are God's people. And so we see that there is a reward for obeying the Lord. There's a reward for being sincere and hitting the altar and recognizing God for the God that he is, the great I am. I'm not saying we're looking for rewards, but I'm saying there's a reward. His life has been changed. A whole nation of people has been changed because one man came back to that old-fashioned altar. Brother Scott, would you come get a song? I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray. We're praying if you need to come to the altar for any reason, you can come down. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the message. Lord, we know how important altars are in your word, God. You've spoken of them many times. God, we know it's the place that we can come and show that we're sincere, God, that we want to meet you at your level, God. And Lord, we're praying for each one that's in this building right now, God. If there's one that needs help today, Lord, would you help them? God, would you help them with that problem going on in their family or in their life or in their health or, or their financial shape or whatever it is that, that they're going through, God? Would they meet you at the altar? God, if there's one listening to this by some other means outside of this building right now, God, we know you're there. God, anywhere we bow down can be an altar. Lord, I'm praying today that we as, as church members, God, we as Christians, God, will return back to those old paths and to those old altars, God, where we can meet you and you'll be with us. Help us, Father. Lord, if there's one that needs help, help them today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, brother. Page 161. Jesus is tenderly calling.